Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's August 18th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. How's, how's it going, Austin? Going well. We've got some interesting stuff to talk about today, Matt. That's for sure. Yeah, we got a new stablecoin collapse, all the fun stuff, uh, layoffs, an update, a big update we actually have on Tornado Cash, um, and a few other uh, little stories, including Do Kwon making his first appearance since the Luna crash, which we'll uh, give a bit of an update on. But we'll dive into all of that right after this. If you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance, I have something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view, or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. Our first story of the day involves, that's right, a stablecoin, de-pegging. And this one, albeit, was a much smaller stablecoin, nothing close to the Terra collapse. I think the total market cap at the time of the uh, exploit, which I'll talk a little bit more about, was somewhere in the region of 10 to $15 million uh, market cap. So very, very small, but an important example to highlight. And for context, you know, UST, the, the stablecoin behind Terra, that was in the 10 plus billion. In fact, I think it was closer to, what was it, something like, 25, 30 billion or something like that market cap. So not even comparable. Um, however, the, the news here is that uh, the Akala stablecoin, AUSD, which is a native stablecoin to the Polkadot blockchain, um, which you, you may be aware of in terms of like the blockchain, probably less so AUSD, but is pretty much the de facto stablecoin that was used on Polkadot. And it, on Sunday of uh, this this past week, the 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 stablecoin pretty much collapsed to zero. I think it it hit around about five cent, and of course this is supposed to be pegged to the dollar. Um, after hackers exploited a bug in a newly deployed liquidity pool to mint over one point two eight billion tokens out of thin air, which often devalues a currency when when that happens, I've heard. Uh, so that wasn't great. And yeah, on Sunday the 14th, it collapsed below $0.09. Cent. Uh, what was interesting here was that uh, a governance proposal was then put forward, which was put forward the, the next day, to actually burn $1.3 billion, so pretty much the exact amount that were, were accidentally minted, um, AUSD tokens in an attempt to restore the peg. And what the proposal itself suggested was uh, that the 1.3 billion AUSD, which was obviously minted in an error, was burned by returning those funds to the Honzen protocol, the protocol which, which runs AUSD, 
Um, and it would also burn 4.2 million in AUSD that's still in the, the, the liquidity pool. So it was the IBTC AUSD, which is like a wrapped version of Bitcoin paired with the AUSD um, stablecoin on Polkadot in that reward pool in the exact same way. Uh, I was trying to kind of figure out the exact dynamics. I'm, I, I mean, I haven't really dug into the depths of the stablecoin and DeFi setup on Polkadot, to be honest. Um, but I was a little unsure of how they actually managed to to return this. I'm assuming uh, it, it it either involved something to do with the smart contract or maybe rolling back the, the Polkadot blockchain. I wasn't completely clear on that. But the proposal itself passed on the Monday. So the next day, on Monday the 15th, um, and then the, the burn itself was initiated. So the burn was executed, and then the peg has since risen all the way back up to 92 cents uh, at the time of recording and seems to have somewhat stabilized, albeit a lot of the centralized exchanges. So I think KuCoin stopped and paused withdrawals. During the crash, they actually completely halted uh, the uh, the protocol, so it was completely frozen at the time. So I, I think there was a few things they were able to do, but I will I will note here, you know, again, a very small cap coin, but yet another example of the uh, the fragility of stable coins and just smart contracts where exploits can happen. Uh, fortunately, it looks like no, it, like everyone has come out unscathed from from this. Some big developments in the unfolding sanctions around Tornado Cash. We briefly covered this last week, but if you're not familiar with what's going on with T Tornado Cash, the U.S. Treasury Department has sanctioned them. They are a crypto mixer, as well as several crypto wallet addresses that are associated with the service. So that means that the protocol itself and its associated smart contracts are effectively blacklisted and thus it's illegal for Americans to use the crypto mixer Tornado Cash and these wallet addresses that have been associated with the service. Now, fundamentally, Tornado is a privacy tool. It lets users obfuscate where their funds have been and where they're going. Basically, you take crypto, put it into this pool, uh, it mixes it all up, and then you get crypto back out of it, and it obfuscates uh, where the crypto originated from and then where it eventually went to. So basically, it turns uh, the transparency of, of the blockchain into a black box hiding your crypto activity. So the Treasury ended up um, sanctioning Tornado Cash because, according to them, they had found indications that the Lazarus Group, which is this hacking group that we have covered many times in the past with ties to North Korea, uh, had actually been using the service to launder stolen crypto. And one notable instance of this was uh, $96 million that the group uh, pulled in from the Harmony Bridge attack. So they had claimed the Lazarus Group was using Tornado Cash to launder these funds and then North Korea would use these funds to do a bunch of nefarious things, including back their uh, nuclear program. So uh, it had been alleged that the service had actually been used to launder more than $7 billion worth of virtual currency since its creation in 2019. So some pretty strong allegations. This created a bunch of uh, knock-on effects after this happened, which we started to cover in last week's episode, but a lot has happened since then. So 
the first thing that will kind of set the tone for everything that has followed since then is that Dutch police have arrested an alleged tornado cash developer in the Netherlands. The Netherlands Crime Agency, or FIOD, has said, quote, we've arrested a 29-year-old man in Amsterdam. He is suspected of involvement in concealing criminal financial flows and facilitating money laundering through the mixing of cryptocurrencies through the decentralized Ethereum mixing service Tornado Cash. And they went on to say, more arrests are not ruled out. So this is pretty wild. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, a lot of people have contributed to the the GitHub repository. So where where do you where do you kind of draw the line, right? On like who is a developer for Tornado Cash? Uh, I imagine there's quite a lot of them if you look at it like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what you know, what's wild about this is that. Uh, effectively, you just have somebody that's writing code for a piece of infrastructure. I, th- I thought that Stefan Livera, who is a podcaster as well, put it really well when he said, Tornado Cash developer being arrested by Netherlands FIOD is concerning news. Imagine if road builders were being arrested because criminals use them or home curtain installers. Wanting privacy should not be considered a crime. Uh, Basically, the point here is that Tornado is a piece of neutral infrastructure. So uh, it was not built with an explicit or intent purpose of being used to launder funds in the same way that a road is not built with an explicit or intent purpose of taking a bank robber from the bank to their lair. (laughs) Um, So naturally... What's your your take on that, Austin? Because I, I don't know how I, I, I guess I haven't really thought through my, my opinions on this, but you know, let, let's use a more direct example and you tell me if this isn't, if this is apples to oranges, I create a gun, right? And I, I don't use it to shoot an A1 or do anything with it. Someone takes that gun and shoots someone and kills someone. Um, um, I, I mean, I've still created, without me creating that, then that death couldn't happen. I guess with something like Tornado Cash, it's 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 been built with a very specific purpose in mind. And yeah, maybe that the core purpose was not to launder cash. It turns out that actually it was very effective at doing that amongst many other things. Could we not make the, the counter argument here that, you know, like I guess that person has facilitated money laundering? Maybe maybe I'm a, a little on the other edge of the the argument. I need I need a bit. Of yeah, there. yeah. I mean, it's you're you're actually the example that you used is quite a contentious one um, that's being debated in the U.S. right now. Um, mm. My position on that is you're talking about a tool, so you know you could create yeah. a spoon as well and blame it for all kinds of things, right? Uh, it's a spoon, and tornado cash is a tool, and a gun is a tool. And the uh, party that is responsible for what happens with that tool is the party that is using it to do the thing that happens, not the party that created it with no intention of it being used in one way or another. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, the gun one is especially contentious because you're you're coming at this, obviously, from a different perspective than um, a nation that is, you know, that where that is a fundamental constitutional right. But um, I think that Tornado, tornado Cash is definitely... Uh, you know, in uh, a, a little bit of a conundrum here, I, I will say, like, I don't think I know enough about this or about the example that you gave um, uh, or, or the hypothetical to really form a strong opinion on it. But 
I do think yeah. that there is a lot of public concern from people in the space that actually do know a lot more about this than I do, or maybe you do as well. Mm. Um, and they brought up some interesting points. Hayden Adams from Uniswap said, quote, privacy is critical for a functional and safe society. Arguments that privacy is only for illegal activity are absurd slash dangerous and reminds me of the people that want to make encryption illegal. Sanctioning an immutable smart contract as opposed to individuals or organizations feels like a big freedom of speech issue and bad precedent. Attacking companies for complying with their local laws and regulations is usually not nearly as helpful as advocating for sensible laws and policy. I think that kind of a little bit of the argument that's being made here is sort of along the same lines of what we were talking about there, Matt, which yeah. is like, why why are you attacking the tool as opposed to the actor? Um, or in this case, as opposed to the individuals or organizations uh, that are engaging in nefarious activity? I, f- I find this, I think this is a really, I do think this is a really interesting argument, right? Because I think that there's so much nuance here and, right, like that the fact that Tornado Cash is specifically being called out as the um like the, the developer of tornado cash is is the one that's kind of facing issues legal issues being arrested tornado cash is obviously built on top of ethereum right and without ethereum or a another blockchain tornado cash doesn't actually work and function so i guess like and you know the whole argument and I guess the counter argument to the spoon versus the gun of that all tools is that, you know, not all tools are created equally much easier to kill some of the gun than a spoon, much easier to, uh, launder cash through. Uh, and I'm speaking just abstractly right now, right? The much easier to launder cash through tornado cash than just doing it via like just straight on the Ethereum blockchain, like borderline impossible to do that just straight on Ethereum. I think the thing that gets a lot of people because, I, I see the argument being pushed back of like, oh yeah, this is like when people just said people only use Bitcoin for criminal activity. And obviously that wasn't the case. I I do think the thing that f- comes up against the tornado cash piece is I have not seen a whole lot of use cases that people talk about using do- tornado cash prior to this on a daily basis that is just pure individual privacy centric stuff. I've definitely seen examples, but overwhelmingly I have seen much more of a use case for the one that, for example, the uh, the the North Korean hackers have, have been using it for. I I struggle just a little bit with this one because I on on one hand I'm incredibly uh, I'm very much a proponent of decentralization and I agree with the fact that people need privacy. On the other hand, I also agree that we have sanctions for a reason and that we don't I don't think anybody wants people to be able to launder cash, right? That's obviously not the case. Is cracking down at this level the right place? Certainly on like the developer side of things, the right place. That's where I'm really unsure. So I, I think this is why it's such a compelling discussion topic and situation to discuss because it's really difficult to have a strong point of view either way without compromising some of your other kind of beliefs in other areas. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. I think that last week we were talking about, you know, I, I think fairly unanimously, most people would say we don't want North 
Korean influence and through, you know, laundered funds in our politics or our corporations or our economy. And we also don't want funds from our economy to be uh, taking part in in funding, you know, a nuclear weapons program in North Korea. Right. Um, I, I think that, you know, part of what I've noticed as a common theme in some of these reactions is, you know, maybe a well justified mistrust of government from steps taken in the past where one specific extreme example will be used to justify something that is otherwise somewhat unjustifiable. Um, you know, you were talking about like, what are what are the legitimate uses of, of tornado cash? And you're right. I think that the ones that you see a lot of the time are mostly focused on money laundering in the same way that the most common uses of, to go back to your analogy of firearms that you see like in the news and in stories are, you know, bad, bad uses of those things because nobody wants to talk about the time where someone used it to, you know, defend their family or, or defend themselves or whatever it may be, even though statistically speaking, that happens all the time in the same way that statistically speaking with tornado cash, it was used actually for legitimate reasons all the time. The, 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 there was this interesting study that I was seeing, um, which came out of Chainalysis. And they mm-hmm. found, they, they, they basically went through all of the funds that had been uh, received by Tornado Cash by source and found that roughly half of it was DeFi, um, about 17% of it was centralized exchanges, about 10% of it could be tracked back to stolen funds. So there was seven and a half-ish billion dollars that had um, come through uh, the come through tornado cash in total, but like half of that was DeFi, right? A a significant portion of that was centralized exchange movement, but they were able to track part of it back to stolen funds. And then obviously a portion of that could be tracked back to North Korean nefarious activities. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's a good, it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, like actually that like one, while we didn't, we don't use this, but like, I think about this, obviously, I'm, I'm uh, I work at Decentral Games, and we have like a DAO. One of the things that is actually challenging is, you know, if we were to get our token listed on centralized exchange X, right? The one of the first requirements of that before it kicks off is that we would supply some liquidity to that centralized exchange. And that will often be like, let's say, half a million dollars worth of our tokens and half a million of stablecoins maybe that come from our DAO's treasury. Well, we don't want anyone to front run that and take advantage of that uh, centralized exchange listing before it's announced. But we need to somehow ship those funds out of the treasury and to that centralized exchange. The moment that happens, people can see centralized exchange X's wallet has just received about a million dollars worth of funds from our treasury, that is very, very challenging. And, you know, that's that just is basically helping people commit insider trading and front run an opportunity. Uh, so it is a challenge and it is a good use case for something like Tornado Cash because, yes, you would put forward a governance proposal and say, hey, we want to ring fence these funds for use in providing liquidity to a large central exchange. Uh, which we can't name, and then we can push it through Tornado Cash, and then that is given out to the centralized exchange uh, without people knowing who it is and when that's happening. So 
that there is, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's really important that there is clearly very important uh, examples, especially on like the DeFi level. Yeah, yeah. I saw this interesting tweet thread from this attorney, a crypto attorney, Jake Travinsky. He said, quote, I've spent all week on the tornado cash sanctions and haven't heard a satisfying justification yet. The main argument is criminals used it a lot. Okay, but they use everything law-abiding citizens do as well. Where's the line? How slippery is this slope? The uncertainty is a step back. And then there was actually somebody that replied to him. You could say this is like a really sort of cynical, if not conspiratorial, conspiratorial take. Um, but this user Noah said, my guess, and this isn't a legal argument, is that it's about surveillance. If you ever get too good at disrupting surveillance, internal pressure will come from foreign policy and national security interests to shut it down. So definitely, I think going down a little bit of a rabbit hole there, but there are some pretty legitimate use cases for something like Tornado Cash. Uh, Reza Jeffrey, another uh, crypto uh, tweeter mentioned these things were all completely legal until just recently uh, reasons to use tornado cash for example you get paid in crypto and don't want your employer knowing all of your financial details you pay for mm -hmm. a service in ETH and don't want them to be able to see everything you've ever done on chain um, you're worried that they might not let you join that super secret chat if they know where your wealth came from and it was maybe something that that you know you wouldn't be too proud of uh, but wasn't necessarily illegal um, You've been doxxed and are being harassed online. Uh, you want to donate to a polarizing cause. And in fact, we saw a really great example of this with Vitalik. Uh, he said, and I quote, I'll out myself as someone who has used Tornado Cash to donate to this exact cause. And that cause was the Ukraine crypto donation fund. And the reason that he used Tornado Cash was not because he was attempting to protect himself, but he was attempting to protect the recipients of the crypto, yep. uh, in this case, really from uh, retaliation by the Russian government in a hot war. Um, but there are more reasons. What if you want to anonymously gift somebody a thousand ETH? What if you're bothered by the thought that everyone who knows uh, your Addy knows more about your wealth than most of your close friends or family members? Uh, what mm -hmm. if you think crypto will achieve mainstream adoption, meaning everyone will have access to all of this information, like retails, bankers, potential employers, and you question if they will use that information ethically in the future? All of these things are, you, you could say, okay, you know, you're kind of grasping at straws with some of these things. Uh, maybe they're a little bit extreme. Maybe they're a little bit paranoid. And, you know, the, the truth lies in that North, there were North Korean illegal funds tracked going through tornado cash. I, I don't think that anybody is really arguing against that fundamental problem. It's more about the breadth of the solutions and the sanctions that are being applied. And even deeper than that, there's just this disconnect in how uh, laws and, and punishments are being applied. For example, there were some zingers. One was from Miles Deutscher, and then actually there was another tweet that kind of introduced this idea where he said, Doquan, free. Sifu, free. Alex Machinsky, free. Suzu, free. Tornado Cash developer in the Netherlands, arrested. Um, <laughs> you know, the point here being crypto can be a place where you can, you know, swindle billions of dollars from retail investors, but writing a code to really work on a privacy tool is a jailable offense. Um, another yeah. user that goes by FUBAR said, thankfully, I have never used Tornado Cash to launder money. I use Deutsche Bank like a normal person. <laughs> <Sort of laughs> 
I mean, just classic, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, making the point here that, like, th- this tool, which is being used for many things in the same way that a bank is used for many things, was used for laundering, and it also was used for legitimate things. This is not, like, a new um, problem. And one of the things, Matt, that was really concerning to me is that it, it has been brought into question whether the Treasury Department can even sanction all of Tornado Cash as it exists, because it's built on L2 protocols. Uh, and, and so this was actually uh, pointed out. It, it seems that the U.S. Department of Treasury is unaware that Tornado Cash actually exists on multiple L2 protocols, and they've only sanctioned addresses on the main net and those labeled on Etherscan. So it, even like the, the way in which these sanctions can be applied is being brought into uh, question here, which I, I think is a, a little bit disconcerting. On top of this, um, you, you've got like huge respectable organizations that I think have a, a real track record of protecting human rights and fundamental privacies online. For example, like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which came out and said, EFF is deeply concerned that the U.S. Treasury Department has included an open source computer project, Tornado Cash, on its list of sanctioned individuals. Tornado Cash is an open source software project and website that published a decentralized cryptocurrency mixer. Code has long been recognized as speech, so there are clear First Amendment implications whenever the government inhibits the publication of computer code on a public website. Coin Center, actually it looks like it is going to be entering into a, a lawsuit with the uh, Treasury Department. They said the sanctions don't necessarily target a specific terrorist group or the like, but instead it is all Americans who may wish to use this automated tool in order to protect their own privacy while transacting online who are having their liberty cur- curtailed without the benefit of any due process. This is where I think a lot of the, the concern is uh, coming from here. And I think it's worth hearing. I I would say, Matt, like, I'm totally on the same page as you that uh, we've got, there's a real problem here with what's happening with the Lazarus Group and the way that technology, this technology in particular, crypto, mixing pools, etc., are being used to um, funnel uh, illegally begotten funds to, you know, something terrible like a nuclear weapons program. But I think that a lot of the the problem and the question that comes into the fold is not necessarily whether that is an issue that needs to be addressed, but how to address it and how much you can trust the uh, motivations of a sanction that is this broad. I I completely agree. I I think, you know, this this actually is, funnily enough, like somewhat much less actually about the use case of Tornado Cash and much more about whether, um, you know, the U.S. Treasury Department has the right to step in in the way that they have, uh, especially with the type of platform that this is. And, you know, the, the, the more we discuss, like, the specific use cases here, um, I, I do see, I, I mean, clearly, privacy is one of the most important areas of the crypto space and i think the irony is and especially as someone who went kind of all in to the crypto space i'm personally paid completely in crypto my like my whole life is is like on chain and i don't love all of that you know like yeah. i i really don't like 
that all being published and being very public and do a lot of things to try and obscure that. Uh, so my kind of worry on this front is Tornado Cash to one side. Will this cause a real breakdown in innovation in the privacy space and create like real issues where basically the only solution here is to have centralized entities with questionable motives that are now just the next gatekeeper wall garden of our financial data, which is clearly in the interest of the US Treasury Department and, you know, many other countries, which I imagine will start following suit in a similar way. I, I, I think this is, is not the last we hear of this. Yeah, it's so interesting to speculate because I, I think that is a lot of where the concern is, or is around the precedent that this sets. I, I saw a tweet from Kobe. He said, welcome to the war on code. And I think that's hmm. a lot of sort of the underlying concern here. Uh, and I am so interested, just like you, Matt, to see how this affects the way that projects are built and innovation occurs in the space. I believe I, I read something that CZ, the CEO of Binance, had put out that said that he actually expects this to strengthen privacy uh, in, in mm. the long term, that there's going to be like more investment in it and more scrutiny placed around it by uh, by new projects. I think, you know, that's a little bit of an optimistic take and maybe yeah. not one that we've classically seen play out through history. Um, but well, I think nevertheless, it's the argument, I think it's the argument, right, of like, with uh, which we've kind of had before, where one of the biggest challenges with regulation inside crypto today is this just been a complete lack thereof of guidance. It's not that even there's been like too harsh or too lenient regulation. It's just there's been no guidance. So it's just kind of regulating through um, kind of like actual convictions, right? It's like this isn't a great way to build regulation. I think what people are wanting and maybe what, CZ is hinting towards is that this kind of forces the hand of the the government to put in more regulation in the space. Now, will that be good regulation? I I, I don't know, right? But yeah, um, that is yeah. The big I think question. it's certain. Exactly, it's it's an, a very optimistic outlook uh, on, on it that is. Front. But this does go back to that point that we've been talking about over and over again about retroactive enforcement of legislation. I mean, I think last yeah. week you and I were talking about like we were looking at Tornado Cash in the early days and you were saying, oh, this is quite interesting. Like, you know, maybe I'll just run a transaction through this to see how it works. Imagine yeah. and you didn't do that. But imagine if you did. And today you were sitting here like, wait a second, like I'm being loop. I'm being just like grouped in <laughs> with all of yeah. these like other people on this sanctions list and like what is even going to happen to me that's a really really scary prospect and, that would have been very that would have be. been very scary right because there's just all kinds of implications and you know sanctions are not things you kind of mess with right of, of, of all governments the u.s government in particular right like that that would have been a big concern to me um and i imagine is a big concern to a lot of people that have kind of interacted with uh, Tornado Cash in the past. But listen, I think this is really interesting how this is developing. It's clearly an incredibly divisive topic. And I think we're going to hear a lot more about this. We'll certainly be covering it a lot more. But um, let's let's jump into our third story of the day. 
Third story of the day is a quick one, but I wanted to kind of call this out because I watched uh, slash listened to the first interview that Do Kwon has given since the lunar crash. And he did this on the Coinage uh, YouTube channel. It was a great um, production. They actually had him in person with them. And uh, I, I took a few kind of takeaways from watching it through. I mean, one of the things I would say is he didn't look great. <laughs> That's that's for sure. Uh, he looked like he'd been through the ringer, um, but he definitely seemed very remorseful. So, you know, which I imagine is the case. You know, he admitted the way he'd acted wasn't right. He seemed to acknowledge the fact that, you know, the hubris he had was very damaging. However, he is adamant. He did not commit fraud. And and he kind of maintained that he always believed in the Luna Project. Uh, I think one of the quotes of the interview was when he was asked how badly he was down, he said, infinite down. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. He also said, uh, I mean, how much I believe this exactly, but it's probably not far from it, was uh, that... During the crash, he didn't sleep for seven days straight and ate only half a burrito. Uh, I think, like, I remember him talking about how he was just in a consistent state of shock. And he was kind of, I, I really recommend, like, watching the the, the interview. Because it's only about 15, 20 minutes long. But you do kind of get uh, to a, a sense of how it all kind of played out. And they asked him a bit about, you know, people have come out after... And said that the team were trying to uh, convince uh, Doquan to reduce the APY on the anchor protocol. And he actually said there were many conversations where people were pushing him hard to increase the APY. Which, while I will take anything Doquan says with a grain of salt, I, I can believe it for sure. Um, one of the questions that, oh, I, like even when it was asked, I was like, oh god, this is just... I would not want to be in this situation is how he felt about naming his daughter Luna, which I completely forgot that he did this. Um, and, you know, he said it gave him more motivation to, to ensure her name is nothing to be ashamed of. He said he is not going to re like change his daughter's name, which I think is the right thing. Um, but after that, he said something just like, uh, I can't remember the exact verbatim, but I took a few notes on this where he kind of said that, um, what he works on for the next 20 years will be very meaningful and is going to kind of like right this wrong. Um, so just everything he was talking about was, it basically just didn't sound like he's even contemplating the fact that he could be prosecuted, go to jail. His whole legal team quit at the time of the crash. He's kind of got some, some new legal representation, but he's clearly not paying much attention to the fact he's going on interviews during all of this. Um, but you know, the TLDR is, I think in all honesty, got off pretty lightly with the questions that were asked. I imagine he's going to be going on a bit of a roadshow of interviews from just the, the vibe I got from watching that. So I would hope that some of the future interviews we see aren't so kind and ask some of the bigger questions that, that need to be asked of him. Um, and maybe we learn a little bit more, but you know, he seemed very well prepared and scripted. I, I will say in that, yeah. but interesting. I would recommend people check it out. And with that, we'll jump into a layoff roundup special edition just for this week's episode, <laughs> which you're going to run with now, Austin. 
Robinhood has laid off 23% of their staff in their second layoff of this year. Uh, you'll recall three months ago, Robinhood actually cut 9% of their staff. After that, they had about 3,100 employees uh, after they let go of around 300. Well, this 23% reduction is going to amount to about 713 employees affected. That leaves them with roughly 2,400 employees currently employed at the company. This layoff actually happened a couple weeks ago. We wanted to cover it. Didn't get to it, uh, but since then, additional layoffs have happened as well, which we will get into right after this. But in the case of Robinhood, it affected all functions. It was particularly concentrated in operations, marketing, and program management, but it did cut across the board. And the reason for this, they said, is that they overhired during 2021. Um, Robinhood last year actually staffed many of its operation functions under the assumption that the what they called the heightened retail engagement um, that was taking place would continue into 2022. And of course, that didn't happen. And you'll also remember, you know, similar trends uh, related to this. Gemini recently cut 7% of their staff after previously cutting 10%. Um, we've got do you another... Know, do you know, Austin, seven, imagine being in a company... I, I don't think you've been in this situation where that many people have been laid off. 713 employees all at once. That's a lot yeah. of people, isn't it? Like the likelihood yeah. is like, you know, if you're in the company, you know, multiple people that are that are laid off uh, all around yeah. you from different orgs. That, that is that is really brutal. I mean, any layoff is brutal. Right. But that is huge. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that we keep saying this, but I, I just can't imagine um, what it's like. You know, I haven't been yeah. uh, through that before. But, you know, you're talking about 23 percent plus 9 percent prior to that. I mean, that's like. One in three to four people um, are mm. gone, and if you're in one of the you know concentrated areas like operations, marketing, program management, it most likely was much higher than that. But more than likely, if you know you were somebody at Robinhood, you know a good amount of people that were affected by this. Um, and these multi-round layoffs continue. Crypto.com it is reported it's set for a second round of layoffs, which is expected to be worse than their first round. And Genesis uh, has recently cut 20% of their staff and their CEO, Michael Morrow, has stepped down. So the wow. crypto winter and its uh, out output of layoffs continues uh, to trudge on. Yeah, and I saw that... Um uh just just before we went in to, to record this episode i saw that OpenSea have had i think one of their worst months um of trading volume in something like 13 months um so they are in a bad place and of course OpenSea uh obviously did a lot of layoffs early on in this kind of bear kind of cycle that we saw i have no reason to believe there'll be any more but certainly not great news for for them but there is some good news at least bankrupt celsius network has filed a motion to rehire its former chief financial officer for a mere ninety two thousand dollars per month at least someone <laughs> is getting a job there's a silver lining here everyone the bankrupt Celsius network are going <laughs> to splash the cast on their former CFO. 
Well, on that note, I think we will we will leave it there on that wonderful, happy, redeeming note that probably makes oh, up for all of the bad that we've uh, discussed. <laughs> oh, uh, we'll see how that plays out next week. Thanks again, Austin. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Before we jump out, I will say... We've got such a great episode dropping on Monday of next week. I talked with the uh, the, the co-founder of Wagme United, and they are a Web3 project that raised funds, bought an English football team in the fourth division of English football, or soccer for all of my uh, American friends, yourself included, Austin. And uh, <laughs> they have grand plans to take them and rise them all the way to the top uh, into the Premier League and uh, they're doing some really interesting stuff with governance and just just like it's a whole crazy time and I, I chat to them all about it it's a very entertaining uh, a very interesting episode so make sure you stay tuned for that on Monday but till next week I'll see you then Austin see you Matt The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.